You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago. We're currently in a teaching series called Ask Anything. Each of us carry questions, doubts, and uncertainty that emerge from the current culture and from living in a broken world. In this series, we are looking at what God's Word says about some of the questions we face as followers of Jesus. Thanks for tuning in. Well, hey, Harvest. It is so good to be with you, uh, to be in God's house with God's people on God's day, looking at God's word. I hope you have a copy of God's word in front of you. We'll have some on the TV up here if you didn't uh, bring a Bible or you'd like to just look up here. Um, But we are looking into God's word for the answers that we have today to help us to live our lives in a way that honors him. Uh, We're going through a series, we just started it last week, we're calling it Ask Anything, and we've uh, put some questions, some opportunity for questions out there, and many of you have asked questions, and what the whole point of this uh, series for the summer is for us to take uh, our lives and to all of the things that we see in the media, the things that we see in our our um, relationships and our lives and so much that we see in the world that when we look at that and we look at God's word, we can see that those things don't happen. Um, they're not together in all of those things. They're, they, they're pieces that we have questions about or we're, we're um, quizzical about. And so we want to take some time this summer and address some of these specific questions because God's word does have the answer for it. Uh, scripture tells us that he gives us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And so whether or not I know the answer or you know the answer to some of the things that are confusing in our life, God knows the answer. God has an answer for us. And we're going to be looking at each of these each week in our time together. So I hope you have your Bible. Today, um, we're going to be looking at a question. It's one of the top questions that came in from uh, people in our church. It's the idea of why does God allow suffering and evil? Why does God allow difficult things to happen? And it's my hope that as we look into the pages of of his word that we'll better understand God's view of suffering, God's view of evil and pain in this world. And it's my hope that we'll gain some more wisdom from God's word in order to um, follow our lives in a way that, that lives out godliness in this world. So, so why does God allow suffering and evil? It's an easy question, right? So, so here's the answer. You ready? You get your pens ready. Why does God allow suffering and evil? I honestly don't know. So let's have the worship team come out. We'll pray and just we'll all go home. No, um, we're going to be looking at God's word, but I do want to say at the beginning that clearly this isn't an, an easy answer. This isn't something that uh, in our time together today, you're going to walk out the door like, oh, all right, that makes sense. I love suffering and evil now. Uh, We're not going to get to that point. Here in the middle, as we live our lives, we are going to feel some uneasiness uh, for all of our days as we see evil and suffering in this world. If you haven't been able to tell yet, this is going to be kind of a heavy topic. This sermon's it's going to be heavier for all of us because it's a heavy topic. It should be a heavy topic for those of us who love the Lord, for those of us who know that greater things await, for those of us who 
read the pages of Scripture in Genesis about the world that God created, and then we look at our world that is not operating that same way. This world is broken, and it should cause our stomachs to turn at times. And as believers who are awaiting a, a hope and a future, we, we should look at things and say, this isn't right. It should not be this way. It should break our hearts when we hear about the child in Ethiopia who's dying today because they do not have access to clean water. It should break our hearts when we hear about the, the family in New Mexico today who's struggling with poverty and doesn't know where they're going to have their meal this afternoon. It should break our hearts when we think about the woman down the street from me who is being abused by her husband. These things should break our hearts because they break the heart of God. So this is a topic that's heavy. It's difficult. It's hard for us when it's in the news and we, when we hear about it. But it's even more difficult when it lands on my doorstep. It's hard for us to think about it in my future and what might it look like in my future, but what about when it's in my family right now? That's when these topics, when these questions come to our minds and where hearts are broken. So what do we do? How do we react? How are we to live as believers when there's suffering and evil and pain all around us, when we hear about great tragedy that's all around us? What do we do? How do we view these things? It's my hope that we'll see that from God's word. But before we do, before we get any, any further into that, before we even turn to the text, I, I just have to say if you are going through a period of suffering, of immense pain, of heartbreak today, I am so sorry. The pain that you're feeling, the, the weight that you're carrying because of the circumstances of life, it's, it's valid, it's real. The Lord sees it. And I don't think that for a moment, my words here today are going to somehow fix that. That you're going to walk out the doors of the worship center in this place or in any of our worship centers today, that you're going to walk out feeling like, oh, great, I'm good now. No, it's hard. And I'm so very sorry. Pain and suffering comes in many, many different ways packages, but the heartache's still there. Maybe it's emotional toil that you've carried because of something that's happened to you in the past. Maybe it's the heartbreak that you have over a relationship that's deeply broken and strained. Maybe it's a health crisis or a financial crisis that's happened this week, and, and you're struggling to even see, like, where's the end of all of this, Lord? I, I don't see a way through this. Maybe it's the death of a person who is dear to you and your heart breaks as you miss that person. I just have to say, the Lord sees. The, the Lord knows. And I'm so sorry for the weight that you are carrying today. Please don't carry it alone. 
There are people around you who would love to be near to you as you walk through difficult seasons. And if you are in our church and feel alone, please reach out to a pastor or a staff member. I know, I know it's hard to do so when you're going through pain and you just want to be alone and stay in bed. I understand. But please reach out because there are people who want to be there to help you. And we can't fix it. We can't. But we can be with you in the midst of it. So what I want to do even before we get into our text, we usually do this kind of thing at the end of the service, but I just want to take a moment and pray for you. If you're a person who's carrying a heavy weight today, before we even get into what God's word has to say about it, I just want to take a moment and pray. So we're all going to pray together. And if, if you feel like I, I'm just, I'm carrying this weight today and this pain and suffering that I have, uh, just maybe hold out your hands uh, to receive from the Lord. And we're going to pray, and then we're going to get into God's word. Father, we are grateful for your presence in our lives. And Lord, we confess that we do not understand the weight of pain and suffering and, and why all of these things are allowed. We, we see glimpses of it, but so, so often we are, are left scratching our heads. And so, Father, I would pray for the many in our church, even today, who are carrying such a weight, whose hearts are broken by circumstances in this broken world. God, I pray that you would minister to these dear ones even right now, that far more than a band-aid or a, a pithy verse or, or some nice coffee mug to give them with a little message on it, Lord, that, that you would be their security through it, that you would be their peace, that in some way, Lord, you would apply some spiritual balm to those who are hurting even today. And God, we pray that as we look into the pages of your word, that you would encourage us from it, that you would strengthen us from it, and above all else, that we would see your glory and know your peace even today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So grab hold of your Bibles. Turn to John 11. We're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture today and an account of where Jesus steps in to the lives of some people who are experiencing great heartache, who are going through a difficult trial, who are experiencing suffer, suffering. And, and we're going to see, we're going to get a glimpse into the heart of God in the midst of suffering, in the midst of pain? What is the Lord trying to do through it and in it? And so I don't expect that our time today is going to answer every question that you have about this topic of the problem of evil, uh, but I hope that it'll be a bit of a primer so that we can see the heart of God through all of these things, that it, we can begin to, to get God's wisdom in all of these things. And as we look at this account of Lazarus and Mary and Martha, and see the way that Jesus walks through this suffering with them, I hope that we'll be able to, to see his heart. So what I want to do is I want to walk through the passage together. We'll look at a couple of pieces through that, and then I want to draw out two key principles that we can see from Jesus here about why does God allow suffering and evil to exist in this world. But let's begin reading John 11, verse 1. 
Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent word to him, to Jesus, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death, for it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. At the very beginning, Jesus is telling them what the purpose of this specific suffering is. It's for God's glory. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now, I got to say, this is super confusing to me. So, so Jesus hears about Lazarus. He, he hears about Mary and Martha, this family who several times in the text already, it talks about how he loves them, how he cares for them. This is a family that he loves. They're friends of his. And when he hears about Lazarus's sickness, he tells the disciples at the very beginning, the whole purpose of this is the glory of God, so that the Son of God would be glorified through this. But then we get to these two verses, and this is so confusing to me. I, I got to be honest, it's a little bit like, wait, did I read that wrong? Because I would think that it would say when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he came right away. He dropped everything he was doing in Jerusalem and, and grabbed an Uber and drove straight there so that he could get there as quickly as possible. But, but no, it says that when Jesus heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer. He waited. He let there be time happening there. He let some of the pain and suffering happen. Now, don't miss that he had a purpose in all of it, but he's allowing that to happen. It doesn't make sense to me, but this is why his thoughts are not my thoughts. His ways are not my ways. And so as I look at pain and suffering and evil in this world, I may not understand a lot of what's happening, but I'm confident that he has a plan and a purpose for it. And I may not understand that purpose. I may not understand his reasoning. And believe me, I definitely don't understand his timing. But I can be sure that he's working it for a reason, that he has a purpose for it. So after two days, Jesus decides to actually go to Bethany to, to be with them where they are. Let's continue reading verse 11. After saying these things, uh, he spends a little bit of time in there. If you notice, we skipped over. He spends a little bit of time arguing with his disciples. They're always arguing about something, you know, but they're arguing about like, they're going to kill you if you go there and, and all of these things. But after Jesus says a few things to his disciples, after saying these things, he says to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And don't, don't miss at the very beginning, Jesus knows exactly what he's going to do. Now, the funny thing is they still don't get it because the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. 
if, he, if he's resting, that's good. You know, sleep is good when you're sick. So let him sleep. That's basically what, he'll, he'll recover. It's fine. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant he was taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. Think about how that lands. Jesus knows what's happened, but all of the disciples are friends of this family too. So to them, a close friend of theirs, they've just found out he died. Lazarus has died. And then Jesus says this thing that's so confusing to, to us, so foreign. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. It's so confusing that Jesus would say, I, I'm glad this happened. I'm glad that the suffering happened to this family so that you may believe because there's a purpose to it. It's, it's surprising to me that, that as he's going there, for, first he says he's going to awaken them. He's, he's got a plan with all of this from the very beginning. Suffering and evil and pain, they are huge surprises to us when they land on our doorstep. When it hits my life, I'm like, where did this come from? Listen, it doesn't surprise our Lord. None of it surprises him. It breaks his heart, but it doesn't surprise him. And then second, he's glad that it's happening. What, what is going to happen could not have happened unless this tragedy struck. The joy to come wouldn't be there without the mourning. And Jesus knows this. And so his disciples and Jesus, they come to Bethany beginning in verse 17. Now when Jesus came, came to Bethany, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give to you. Now, I just have to applaud Mary's eternal perspective here. In the middle of her grief, her brothers just died. In the middle of all of that, she sees that her brother will rise again. She, she knows that Jesus can work through it. And let's, let's see her eternal perspective here as she talks to Jesus. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Again, he's telling them what he's gonna do. He will rise again. I, I'm gonna raise him from the dead, Martha. Which is amazing that Jesus knows exactly what he's doing, but Mary still has an eternal perspective. Again, I, I, I applaud this as I read the text. It's amazing. I, I wish that we would all have the same eternal perspective. But she misses the earthly, what he's actually going to do. But Martha says to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. At the end, when it's all over and we're in heaven, I know it's going to be okay. I, I know you'll make it right, Jesus, which is an incredible thing for her to say. Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. 
Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who's coming into the world. She has incredible faith in him as he shows up and and tells them exactly what he's going to do. This eternal perspective that she has is to be emulated by us. Even in the midst of great tragedy, she has a, a view of what the Lord's going to do for all of eternity. And it's admirable. Let's continue reading verse 28. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary. Remember, Mary's still in the house, sitting down. She called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here, and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, notice these are the exact same words that Martha said to him. She said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, And the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Jesus has such a heart of compassion towards the pain that they are experiencing. And he said to them, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus it's the shortest verse in all the Bible. So for those of you who are looking for, you know, an easy memory verse, this is it. John eleven thirty five. 35. <laughs> Jesus wept. Two little words. Very simple. But so powerful to think about the creator of the universe. Jesus Christ. The son of God in all his fullness. With all of his wisdom. Already knowing exactly what he's going to do standing there, seeing their pain, and and not just noticing their pain, but feeling their pain, and he weeps. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Jesus has incredible compassion as he speaks with them. And I completely understand their confusion, not just their hurt, but their confusion in all of it as as they ask him some of these questions like this. I mean, this is at the core of what we feel and what we experience when we think about suffering that happens. When we encounter suffering, we we can understand why suffering exists in the world, why why it happens. Uh, Suffering happens because I'm broken. I'm a broken, sinful person. And through the choices that I make, sometimes suffering comes back on me as a result of those things. There are consequences for my sin because I'm broken. And suffering happens because people are broken. 
that some suffering in my life and your life happens as a result of another person committing a sinful act, acting in a sinful way. So suffering happens because I'm broken, and it happens because people are broken, and it happens because our world is broken. This is not the way that it's supposed to be. This is not the way that it was designed. And suffering seems to come randomly because this world is a broken and a messy place. We can understand intellectually why suffering is here because of the fall. But I think our question, like theirs, is deeper and far more painful to ask. Because it has not not just to do with the concept of suffering, but it has to do with the very character of God. It has to do with this idea of, like, why won't you step in? Lord, why won't you do something? If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Can't this person who opened the eyes of the blind, couldn't he have stopped this from happening? Why isn't God doing something? Why didn't you do something here, Lord? And that's the question that they ask. And that's the question that we ask that is far more significant than just why is evil, why is suffering even a thing? But, but why do you allow this, Lord? Let's continue reading verse 38. Then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Again, telling them what he's going to do. So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen straps and his face wrapped with a cloth. So he's like waddling like a mummy out of this tomb. Amazing. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. And they see a miraculous provision in the midst of their suffering. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, just like he told them. And at least in this specific occasion, there is a, an end. There's an answer to their suffering. They see the specific suffering that they have come to a miraculous end. But it's not always that way for us. What are we to learn when we're in the middle of that suffering? What are we to think about when we are struggling with all of these things? What are we to learn when we're waiting for an end of our suffering or when there seems to be no end in sight for the pain that we're experiencing? I want to take now two principles that we see from this text and from more. First, God cares about our suffering. God cares about our suffering. Notice he was deeply moved in his spirit. He was greatly troubled. We see that twice. And then we see the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus 
wept. He was moved with compassion. He cared about their pain and their suffering, even when he knew he was going to take, take care of it. He could have showed up and said, listen, guys, don't stop crying. It's, kind of, it's going to be fine. Just wait like three minutes. It'll be fine. But he didn't do that. He sat with them to show his care and his compassion. He's aware of their pain and he cares. Psalm 56, 8 says, you have kept count of my tossings. If you are in a time of pain and suffering, or if you have been, you you know what it's like to be on your bed at night and toss back and forth, feeling that pain in your chest as you rehearse all of the elements of it and think about, Lord, why aren't you fixing this for me? You've tossed. He keeps count of our tossings. Put my tears in a bottle. Are they not in your book? Every single one of those tears that have fallen down your face, he's catching it in a bottle. And even those times when you feel like that's got to be a really big bottle this week, he knows God cares about our suffering. We would see suffering happen in our lives and think, God, don't you care? If you cared, I wouldn't suffer. If you say you love me, why am I experiencing this? But the two people in the Bible who possibly suffer the most are deeply loved and even respected by the Lord. It's Job and John the Baptist. Of Job, God himself says these words. He's my servant, Job. There's none like him on the earth. He's blameless and upright, who fears God and turns away from evil. Oh, I wish God would say that about me. But he says that about Job. And Job experiences incredible suffering. All of his property and most of his family are killed And then his health's taken away from him, and he's sitting there on a pile of ashes, scraping the sores, weeping. But God would say this about him. Well, God cared about Job. And then John the Baptist, Jesus says these words about John the Baptist. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. He's better than you. He's better than me. That's what Jesus says, at least here. But these two individuals who were deeply loved by the Lord experienced great suffering and pain. How did it end for John the Baptist? Head on a platter on earth. That's how it ended for him. And so we would see suffering as an evidence somehow that God doesn't care, but in the midst of it all, the pain that's allowed by Jesus for this family but we see his care. God cares about the pain and the suffering. Even when we don't understand it, they, they aren't evidences somehow that God does not care for us. Most of us at, the, at some point in our lives, we will stand over pain and suffering and say those words, God, don't you care about the suffering, about this pain that is in the world, that is in my life. God, why don't you do something? And the fact of the matter is, he has, and it's called the cross. 
God cares so much about pain and suffering that he willingly goes to the cross for us to overcome evil and suffering in this world. One of the elements that that's for us makes suffering and evil in this world so difficult is when we see that evil happening to someone who's innocent. When we hear about a child who's our hearts break and it, they should because of the innocence of that person. They didn't deserve it. But we know that there's one person in this world ever who was truly innocent. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God except one. The perfect, sinless Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. So the most evil thing to have ever happened is that the perfect, spotless creator of the universe was murdered on a cross for me and for you, beaten and naked and bloodied and alone, every one of his followers deserting him, gasping for air with nails driven through his flesh, hanging there, suffering for you and for me. It's the worst evil that has ever happened on this planet. And it happened so that there would be an end to all suffering. Oh, God cares about your suffering. He cares. And even as he completes his perfect plan to overcome evil, he weeps with compassion over the pain that his people feel. God cares about our suffering. And secondly, God is working in and through our suffering. God cares about our suffering. God is working in and through our suffering. Jesus says at the very beginning of this whole account, verse 4, it's for the glory of God that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And then again in verse 40, did I not tell you if you believed you would see the glory of God? God is working in and through our suffering. He's working for his glory. On this earth, we're in the middle of all of it. And we don't see how it's all gonna work out. We don't see how it's all gonna pan out. We're in the middle of all of that mess. We have this closet at our house that like, for years, probably three years. It's just been like an absolute disaster in that closet. It's like, we don't talk about that closet, you know. Don't judge. You have a closet like that too. But we had a closet that was just a disaster. And, you know, we had a Saturday. We're like, all right, kids, we're going to clean this closet together. So we all get together and we're going we're gonna to clean this closet. And so what happens first is um, I go downstairs to make coffee while I put my kids to work, of course. Um, but then I come back and the kids have all of the closet pulled out into the room, it looks so much worse than the closet. Like there's, there's stuff everywhere. There's piles of stuff that we're gonna get rid of. There's toys from, when did you play with that? There's like art projects. Why do we still have that? There's so much, the whole room just looked like something exploded. And it would be ridiculous for me to walk in there and be like, this is, this is how it's always going to be. No, no, no. It's the middle of the mess. 
And sometimes the middle of it looks a lot worse than when that closet door was closed. It seems to me that there's so much of this that's happening. There's a mess that's happening in this world. And it does not make sense to me. It seems like, well, this shouldn't go on that long, Lord. Maybe there shouldn't be this much pain. There's too much of a mess. I don't understand why all of these things are happening, but the master has a plan for his glory. He's working through it. And I've walked into the room in the middle of the mess. And yes, it's awful, but there is a plan to this. I may not know what it is. I may not even see it this side of eternity, but I know that he has a plan. It seems to me that all of this isn't, shouldn't be necessary. It seems to me like this is just way too much. Lord, I don't understand it at all, but the reason that I don't understand it is because of what this says in Isaiah. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. See, I look at things and think just because I can't understand them, that means that they don't make sense at all. It's perfectly fine and it is understandable for us to wrestle with things in this world for us to weep, to be confused, to even ask, God, how could you allow all of this? Why are you doing this? It's not so much my journey of thinking, but my destination. Do I get to the place where I think, okay, Lord, your thoughts are not my thoughts. Your ways are not my ways, but I will trust you because you're working for your glory. How arrogant of me to think that just because I don't understand what's happening, it can't make sense at all. It's arrogance on my part. Now listen, I, don't, I really don't understand a lot of math. I'm pretty bad at it. I'm really grateful that all of, every one of my math teachers lied to me when they said, you won't always have a calculator with you. Yeah, I got my phone now. Hmm. Bunch of liars. I don't really understand it, a lot of things. A calculus is like, I don't, I don't get all of that. But just because I don't understand calculus doesn't mean I can say that's not valid. It doesn't exist. It doesn't make sense to me, so it doesn't exist. And I think many of us look at our relationship with the Lord's wisdom kind of like that. Like, I don't, I don't understand it, so it doesn't make sense. Or we look at our relationship with the Lord's wisdom a little bit like I look at my relationship with my nine-year-old daughter. Even though I'm terrible at math, I can get nine-year-old math. I can help her with her math. So we sit at the the dinner table sometimes, and, and I feel like as long as I can take a couple of minutes and explain it to her, she'll understand it. If I can think about how to explain it in a way that she'll grasp as a nine-year-old, then we'll be good. And that's true. If I can do that with her, which can't always do, but if I can do that with her, she'll get it. And we look at our relationship with the Lord's wisdom kind of like that. I mean, if, if I could just sit down at the dinner table and God could just explain to me all of the things that he's doing and why he's doing all that, then, then I would understand. But, but the truth is our relationship with God's wisdom is not like me with my nine-year-old daughter, it's, it's a lot closer to me with my dog. 
I mean, he understands a couple things. Like, you want to go outside? <laughs> you know, you want a treat? <laughs> you want to go in the car? <laughs> you know, but like, if I sit down at the dinner table and try to explain math to him, he, he, even two plus two, he's like, treat? You know, he, nothing. Why? Because his ways are not my ways. His thoughts aren't my thoughts. He doesn't have the capacity to think in the ways that I think. He just doesn't. And how great the gap is between us and the Lord's wisdom. Because we think far too often, it's just like me with my nine-year-old daughter. He, he should just explain it to me. No, it's far greater than the gap between me and my little dog. It is. His thoughts are not my thoughts. His ways are not my ways. And all of this pain and suffering does make sense. But not to me. And not on this side of eternity. Because his thoughts are not our thoughts. And his ways are not our ways. But he is working it for our glory. So in the middle of it, we stand and we say, I do believe, help my unbelief, Lord. I I don't understand it, but I, I trust you in the middle of it. And I believe that you're working it for your glory and for your purposes. And he's working it for our good, for our ultimate good. Like the kid who breaks his arm skateboarding and and it needs to be reset with a painful surgery so that it can heal the correct way. We're in the middle of it right now. And so we feel all of those things, but the Lord is using it somehow for our good in the midst of all of it. I have a mentor uh, years ago who um, sadly lost his daughter to cancer. And we were talking about this concept of pain and suffering. And and he would often say, I would never want to go through that again. I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemies, the pain and the suffering. But I wouldn't want to be the type of Christ follower I was before it happened. You see, you recognize that God did something in it that I don't, I don't know if he could have done except through the pain. And that is a hard place to say, especially for a man who lost his daughter to cancer. God, give us wisdom to get to that place. But God is working in and through our pain. I do want to turn our attention just to uh, two quick passages that I do think are very helpful when we're going through some of these things. But I want to be really clear. These are passages before you go through the pain and the suffering. So please, if if you're talking with somebody who who is going through a difficult season, please, please don't walk up to him and be like, God's in control. Romans 8.28, all things work together for God's good. Thank you, Ned Flanders. We don't need that. That's not helpful. The first thing Jesus does here is he weeps with them. So maybe the first thing isn't a a, a Bible verse for that person. Maybe the first thing is a hug. Maybe the first thing is, I am so sorry. I'm here if you need anything. Job's friends got it right for the first week. They showed up as he was weeping and sat with him in silence. I mean, they messed up a ton afterwards. but, But for that first week, they were just with him. And I think far often we, we want to get to the like happy Christian thing, yay, you know, too quickly. And yes, there are answers from God's word, but don't forget to sit with people in their pain because that's what Jesus did. I want to turn to these two passages. Romans eight twenty eight is extremely helpful for us as we think about suffering and pain. 
And we know that for those who love God, that's a difficult word. All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. God is working all, all the things, even the things that, like right now, I'm not really able to thank God for that just yet. But he's working all things for my good and for his glory. And then James 1, count it all joy, my brothers, when, when not if, When you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God is using the pain. He's using the suffering to make you perfect. We would stand a lot of times and, and even pray, I want to be more like Jesus. That's how most of the time. That God is using the pain and the suffering in our lives to grow us there. So hold on to the promises and the character of God in the midst of it. God is working in and through our suffering. We don't always see what he's doing, and believe me, we rarely know why. Scripture says, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 12, now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. For the one who places their faith and their trust in, in Jesus Christ, I believe there will be a day when it all makes sense. There will be a day when God makes it clear to all of us why all of the suffering, why all of the pain happened. I, I believe we'll stand there and we'll, oh, now I see. But I don't think that day's coming this side of eternity. I think there'll be moments when we can see this trial and the things that the Lord did in my life in the midst of that trial. And, and I can look back and say, I wouldn't want to be the person I was before all of this happened. I think there are moments, there are glimpses of that. But I think for most of it, for most of the pain, we won't have that, oh, now I see moment until we get to the other side of eternity. Like Mary and Martha and Lazarus here, there are incredible testimonies of our life where God works and brings us out of suffering. But many times, many, many times, we don't see the end of the pain and the suffering on this side of eternity. But always, whether it's here on earth or in heaven, always the darkest storms lead to the brightest sunrises. And God is working in and through your suffering. We can be sure that suffering is going to happen and is going to come to hit us. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. It's a promise of the Lord. I mean, it's not the promise that we like put on the t-shirt or buy the little plaque from Hobby Lobby or anything like that, you know. But it is a promise. In this world, you will have trouble you and I will experience great suffering and pain in this life. But don't forget the second thing that Jesus says there, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I've made it right. You're in the room right now and the closet is a total mess. It's a total disaster. And we don't see how it's coming together, but, but I got it. I've overcome the world. I did it on the cross for you and I'm doing it in this world. 
I'm working. Well, God cares about our suffering, and God is working through our suffering. One of the things about this passage, too, that I find so significant and so helpful are the differences in response for Mary and Martha. Well, they both say those same words. Lord, if you had been here, my brother had not, would not have died. But both of them, have, they have different responses. Martha very quickly runs to Jesus outside the village, displays incredible faith and trust in the Lord in the midst of her pain this eternal perspective that she has. And she says, Lord, I believe that you're the, the son of God, that you're the Christ. I believe all of that. But Martha, Mary's doing what? She remains seated in the house. She doesn't even get up until she's called by Jesus. I, I think Martha and Mary, Martha has an eternal perspective right away. And for some of you, you're, you're a little more intellectual and you're like, no, I know, I know. Romans 8, 28, I got it. I'm, you know, you're still feeling the pain, but in like a different way. And you're like, okay, I'm, I'm going to Jesus right now because I know he has the answers. It's to be applauded. And some of you, and you're not less than for this, but some of you feel it a little more. Some of you are like, can't, I can't even get up right now. And I want to tell you it's okay. It's okay to sit in that pain. It's okay to feel those things. Because Mary does go to Jesus. She just has to sit in it for a minute. And she goes to him and it's, it's beautiful to me. Martha immediately has the eternal perspective. But what does it say about Mary? She falls at his feet. She still has that love and that security, and Jesus says those same things. If you had been here, it wouldn't have happened, Lord. She still knows he's working, but she's feeling it a little more. And I want to give you permission to not have to throw a Bible verse on it immediately. It's okay to sit in the pain. But whatever type of person you are, don't miss that they both run to Jesus. They both come to our Lord and Savior, the only one who has the answer for it all. And yes, there's pain, and yes, there's suffering, and yes, it's felt. He doesn't always give us the answers, but he always gives us his presence. He's always with you in the middle of that pain, and he's weeping as he sees what goes on in the world, and he sees what goes on in your family and in your life. He knows, he cares, and he's working in and through for his glory and for our good. Father, we are grateful for your word, for the way that you don't leave us as orphans, but you give us this wisdom. We are grateful for all that we see in your word and for the ways that you instruct us. God, give us your wisdom in the midst of pain and suffering, and whether we're handling it, dealing with it right now, today, or we will in the future. Would you be near to us? We thank you for this promise that you are near to the brokenhearted and you save those who are crushed in spirit. So I pray, Lord, today that you would do that. You would give us your wisdom and even more than that, that you would give us your presence through it, that you would be glorified and that our good would come from all of it, even the mess, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago. For more information and how to get connected to one of our campuses, go to harvestbible.org. Tune in again next week for another edition of the Harvest Bible Chapel podcast.